Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. Vancouver's tech sector, it's on the ascent. And new rankings from real estate services firm CBRE see that the city is surging compared with 50 other North American markets. But there is a deep, deep problem with the male-to-female ratio in local offices here. CBRE's Jason Kisselback, he joins us a little later on to discuss. And also later today, Harrison Brown from Head Check Health, he talks to us all about his company's new partnership with the CFL and how the technology is used to better address concussions in the world of sports. But first, let's kick it off with some tech talk. CBRE's 2019 Scoring Tech Talent Report reveals Vancouver is making a rapid ascent in the rankings. And joining us today to delve further into Vancouver's role as a tech hub across North America, it's Jason Kisselback. He is Vice President at CBRE's Vancouver office. Hey, Jason, thanks for joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Okay, so interesting to note here, Vancouver in this latest report, it jumped a whole whack load of spots here. It's now ranked number 12. I believe last time is number 25 in a list of 50 cities across the continent. First, tell us what's the criteria you guys used in the rankings and then maybe what's behind the surge that we're seeing here in Vancouver? Sure. So um, the, the report really is covering the availability of highly skilled technical workers to create and enable software and devices. Um, they're looking at 20 different occupations from software developers to systems and data managers. And what we're being scored on is the availability of quality labor, um, the availability of jobs for that quality labor, and then what does it cost to actually run one of those companies in terms of wages and uh, office rents. The reason that we have uh, jumped up uh, the ranking so much this year, I believe, is uh, we're, we're graduating quite a bit of those uh, skilled workers, and we're creating a significant amount of jobs. But if you look at the 50 cities that are ranked, we're number 49 in terms of costs for wages and, and net rent. So we're seeing this influx of companies moving up the coast from Silicon Valley, from Seattle, um, because they see us as uh, a value play. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was writing a story about this maybe about a month ago, and I just kind of documented so far this year all the number of you know Silicon Valley or, or Seattle companies that are setting satellite offices up in Vancouver. Just anecdotally right. from your own perspective, you're seeing this surge as well. It's something that you're hearing from, say, clients or just as you're going about your day-to-day work. Huge surge, yeah. I mean, we're always tracking you know tenants in the market or who's doing deals on the new uh, projects that are under construction, and it's you know the the elephant in the room is Amazon, who's done a big deal for downtown office space. But you know Microsoft, Apple, uh, Kabam is another big one. They're all um, either growing significantly, and we're already located here, or are setting up um, offices for the first time. So yeah, it's definitely uh, I think it's good news. Well, one of the things that you did point out just a second ago, though, is you're looking at cost in a city like Vancouver. And from your perspective, look, we have wages are relatively low compared with, say, I don't know, Silicon Valley, for example, which is known for its high wages. Can you give us a ballpark figure of, you know, where Vancouver is, what, you know, maybe the average wage is for a tech worker here? Yeah. So it, it, in terms of the 
the jobs that we're tracking in this report, I think the average wage for Vancouver is in that sixty to sixty-five thousand dollar range, and in Seattle and Silicon Valley, it's it's basically double that. So um, they can hire skilled talent for significantly less. Um, yeah, so just I think the equation makes sense. The other thing that we're kind of thinking about a lot, and I've been hearing a lot about it from people in your industry too, though, is just the vacancy rate, especially mm-hmm. in downtown Vancouver. What are you guys uncovering here in your latest report? Yeah, so we're uh, tied with Toronto for the lowest downtown office vacancy in North America right now at 2.6%. Uh, a year ago, it was, I believe, 4.6%. So we've seen a significant decrease in the vacancy rate. Uh, and we're not projecting that there's going to be much change. We have the most supply under construction that we've ever had downtown Vancouver at about 3.8 million square feet, which we'll begin delivering in 2022-2023. Typically, when you go into a new build cycle like that, it's going to provide some relief in terms of vacancy and available space, um, primarily from those projects that are delivering. And then also as tenants move in, move out of space and into those new builds, they leave what we call backfill space. What we're noticing now is that a lot of the new deals done on um, the new projects that will deliver uh, in a few years, they're actually new entrants to the market. So we're not going to see any of that backfill space. So um, there's no reason to believe that the vacancy rate is going to increase significantly. And is it a result of, I don't know, some of those big giants like WeWork coming in or is it just because, yeah. you know, there's a, a sudden surge in interest or is it like a different factors going on right here with regards to the vacancy rate? It's both those things. I mean, it, there's growth happening from local um, tenants such as professional services firms like the law firms and the accounting firms. They're growing. Um, we've got the new entrance to the market from the tech industry and then you nailed it. We work in these other co-working uh, brands who weren't even really, you know, uh, consideration five years ago are now some of the biggest tenants in the city. So it's all of these factors happening at the same time that's, you know, creating this pressure on space. And we're seeing significant increases in rents, even though we're relatively cheaper. If you're a tenant downtown Vancouver and your lease is expiring right now and you're coming off a five-year term, you're seeing like a 30 to 50% increase in your net rent. So if you're not a behemoth tech company, that's a significant increase to absorb. Well, I get the sense from you, just what you were saying earlier, though, is that it may not be that this problem is solved within a year's time or anything like that. Is this going to be kind of like the new reality for a lot of the companies just with regards to, say, pressure within you know leasing space uh, to operate? Yeah, I mean, uh, for the foreseeable future, definitely uh, we don't see a significant change unless there's some sort of glo- global economic event that uh, you know causes a pullback across the board. Fingers crossed, uh, that's not on the horizon either. But uh, <laughs> yeah. one of the other things I, we need to talk about here, because there's other stuff that you guys delve into in this report. And you think sure. of Vancouver as, as a very progressive city, though you look mm-hmm. at, say, the gender diversity issue here. Vancouver is okay. doing exceptionally poorly here. Uh, 82% male to 18% uh, female. This is among the worst uh, of cities uh, that you guys ranked here. Does it hurt mm-hmm. the city's reputation at all as a tech hub? What do you make of the numbers that we're seeing here and what I just described as a, a pretty progressive city? Without being a smart ass, it's 28% female 
So it's a little it? better. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that is definitely something that we should be trying to solve for. And it probably starts at, you know, even the, the education level, right? Starting at the schools, do we have enough females in these engineering programs and how do we get more in there? Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it's necessarily looked at as, say, a detriment. Like we don't want to go to Vancouver because the the gender diversity is not at a point that we think it needs to be. But I, I think it's just offering um, more, I don't know, incentive or just being more open to uh, females in the industry. And, and yeah, I think it really starts with, um, you know, are they, uh, are the degrees that lead to these jobs appealing to females? And if not, how do we change that? Well, if we're talking about degrees, uh, one of the things that you guys analyze, though, is just the number of new grads coming out and maybe how that's filling in the the talent shortage that we're always hearing about. Uh, tell us a little bit about the uh, way that Vancouver is producing tech workers and maybe attracting tech workers as well, based on the numbers that you've guy, you guys have uncovered. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the term is either brain gain or brain drain. And brain drain would mean you're graduating a ton of uh, of new highly skilled workers, but there's not enough job opportunities in the city, so they leave. That would be the brain drain. Brain gain is the opposite, where you're producing more jobs than there are graduates, so you're actually attracting skilled workers from other cities, which is a great thing. Um, but to answer your question, um, we're definitely increasing the number of new grads that are coming out of places like UBC, SFU, BCIT, Kwantlen, um, and it's in computer engineering, math and stats, um, other other engineering degrees. Um, so we're seeing growth in in those new grads, and then because our city is a desirable place to live and we're creating job opportunities as these new tech companies come here, we're attracting skilled labor from outside of uh, the city of Vancouver as well. Well, maybe we'll leave it off with this age-old question about kind of the, the conundrum of Vancouver, where we have a high cost of living, but relatively low wages. Is this going to be a bit of a pressure point for some companies moving forward in that, yeah, they're being attracted to this area because you know they can get uh, labor relatively cheap, but does that put pressure just because a lot of the people that maybe they're hiring are struggling to you know get by day to day just because of the high costs here? Yes. Uh, the two comments I have there. One is if you look at um, our cost of renting an apartment versus some of these um, the cities that are high up on the list, we're actually relatively not that expensive, but you're, you're right. And the problem is our wages are too low. There is speculation that when these bigger tech companies come up from Seattle or San Francisco, um, they have the ability to pay a higher wage, more than that $65,000 average, and they're actually going to move that average up and offer people higher salaries, and that will kind of rise the tide across the board. So that might help out this the affordability crisis that we're always talking about, because I really do think it's, it's a wage issue. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see the impact. We talk about, uh, say, Amazon, you mentioned it at the top, and then we also are hearing rumblings of Apple uh, expanding in Vancouver. We know that Microsoft mm -hmm. has a big footprint. So we're looking at a lot of these giants making more of an impression here in the city. It's going to be fascinating to see as it unfolds in the coming years here. But uh, for now, Jason, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program today. Thanks a lot for having me. That's Jason Kisselback, Vice President, CBRE's Vancouver office. And stay with us, Harrison Brown from HeadCheck Health. He joins us next to discuss a new partnership with the CFL. 
This week, HeadCheck Health announced a new partnership with the CFL that will allow the Vancouver-based company to use its technology to help address concussions on the field. Joining us today is the CEO of the company, Harrison Brown. Harrison, thanks for joining us on the program. Hey, Tyler. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about how your technology works and what it's going to be able to provide to CFL players this season. Sure. So as you mentioned, there is a component that's uh, on the field and there is also a component that's off the field. So uh, really the way the technology works is, is we essentially make it easier for organizations to execute their concussion policy. So that's, that's basically taking all of the tests, all of the steps, whether it's, uh, you know, as the injury is occurring immediately after and then during the recovery uh, and putting it all into one easy to use platform. So that's, that's kind of the, the on-field portion of it, and, and that's done in a mobile application, on your phone, on a tablet, or on a computer. There's, there's also a, I guess, off-the-field component, and, and that's really about compliance and analytics. So what we're doing is we're giving the technology to all of the teams to make it easier for them to follow the CFL's concussion policy, and then what we're doing is we're analyzing all that data, and we're providing reports back to the league. And so what the league's going to be able to do with that is, is basically check to see, are all the teams following that policy properly? Uh, you know, are, are, they, are they following those steps? Are they doing the tests? Are, they, uh, are there anything, is there anything happening that's slipping through the cracks? And, and the point of it is, uh, for the first time, we're giving leagues the ability to kind of lift up the hood and, and take a look at who's compliant and are there possibly ways that we can make the game safer? So what they might find is, now that they've got all this descriptive data that specific play types, specific uh, you know, areas of the field, specific time of games even, are, are resulting in higher concussion rates throughout the league. Uh, and, and that might help them make decisions on scheduling or uh, you know, other player safety initiatives. So it, it's really, uh, it, it's, it's grown from just a, a testing on-field tool to much more of an analytics and, and, and player safety concussion management platform. Well, just take me through it a little bit, because have you found if you're talking to other organizations, other leagues, that there's kind of more of a patchwork model maybe that goes from team to team, and maybe this can kind of address some of those issues there? Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's really the, one of the main premises of it is, is when you're looking at a league of, you know, I don't know, 15 teams, let's say, all 15 of those teams are required to follow the league's concussion policy. And if you drop this down to youth sports, they might be, you know, 15 teams within the same organization, and they're all required to follow that organization's policies. But, uh, you know, the tools that they use and, and the methods that they use to, to follow that policy might be different for all 15 of them. So you might have some that are paying for a technology. Uh, you might have others that are, uh, you know, hacking it together and, and using paper forms, phone calls, text messages. Uh, you know, you have other ones that maybe are using clinics, and, and that's the way that they're kicking the box and saying, hey, if anybody injury, we're just going to take them to a clinic. But the reality of it is when you do that, there's no consistency across the league or the association. Uh, so you might have uh, athletes on, on one team being given different care than athletes on another team, and that really creates a problem. And so what our system does is, you know, we, we basically are, uh, you know, that, that, that ability to create consistency across all of the teams and then provide the league an ability to you know, lift up the hood, as I mentioned, and say, hey, you know, team A is doing a great job, but team B is not. And, and where exactly are they not doing a good job so that we can fix it? 
Well, this is the first time that you guys have been able to partner up with, say, a professional league. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you guys got involved with the CFL initially. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're in contact with all of the major sports leagues in, in North America at this point. And uh, the CFL was one where, uh, you know, we, we, we gave them a proposal, we, we pitched to them, and, and they, they really liked the idea. And so last season, we actually were already working in the league on a pilot basis with the Edmonton Eskimos. And the reason why the Eskimos were chosen was because their medical staff, uh, Dr. Naidu and, and uh, their athletic therapist, Nate Hay, uh, are, are very well respected within the league. And so that was chosen by the league to actually you know, trial the product and, and see whether it was working and, and whether it provided value. And, uh, you know, obviously that went quite well. And then uh, this year in, uh, in Montreal at their, their, their medical meetings, they basically put together, uh, you know, a proposal to uh, expand this to the entire league. And, and that was successful. So uh, we, we've already been there for about, you know, a year now. And, uh, you know, we do have experience working with, with the teams and, uh, you know, training camps were now about four weeks into the season. So we've got, uh, you know, a lot of data already so far. So obviously you guys have worked with many an organization before this. Uh, do, do you approach the CFL any differently? Absolutely. I mean, uh, when you go to the professional level, you, you've obviously got to make sure that you're providing, you know, the, the best you possibly can uh, services and, and product as well. So, you know, we, we've really, uh, you know, expanded our team internally. And, and, and one of those areas is in customer success, we call it, or customer support. And so we actually, for the CFL's training camps, we actually sent one or two of our staff to every single team uh, to make sure that when they first were using the system, that there was, you know, not only no issues, but if there, if there was any questions, we were actually on site to be able to answer them. And, and I think that's something where, you know, it reflects that we want to handle pro leagues with, with white gloves and, and, and make sure that, uh, you know, these people who, you know, can't afford to have this, uh, you know, a question go unanswered or, or can't afford to have something go wrong, uh, we're there to support them and provide them with the best possible experience. So at this point in CFL, uh, we're a few games into the season, and I guess all the Lions fans out there are hoping for a bit of a resurgence at some point. But uh, what has the <laughs> response been like so far from the, the league and the teams that you guys have been dealing with? Uh, it's been really awesome. I mean, uh, you know, we, as, as I mentioned, we, we put a lot of resourcing behind making a, a success because, you know, we want to we want to be able to uh, show at, at, you know, the CFL level and the pro level that this really works and have that as a springboard for us to get into the other pro leagues in North America. Um, so the, the response has been really positive. But to be honest, we, we had expected that, uh, you know, we're, we're very confident in the products. We're very confident in our team. And, uh, you know, so we're, we're very happy with, with where it's at right now. Um, and I think one of the cool things that's come out of it is, uh, you know, there, there's been some, some, some interesting findings already that I think the, the league's going to be able to take advantage of. And, you know, obviously we can't actually share that information because it's private, uh, but it is, it is showing that the product is working. And, uh, you know, I, I think we, we couldn't be prouder of that. Well, it's good to hear. And I'm wondering just from your perspective, you know, maybe how the CFL's approach stacks up versus other leagues, other teams, just because, you know, I mentioned it before, there is kind of this sort of thought out there that maybe there's more of a patchwork going on in other places. But what kind of leadership do you think the CFL has been taking so far? 
Yeah, I mean, the CFL, interestingly, is, is actually, I would, I would say, is a leader in, in the head injury space in football. Uh, you know, you look down south at, at, you know, the NFL and NCAA, and, uh, you know, I don't think they're, they're taking as proactive of approach to player safety. Um, examples of, of the CFL doing this are last year, they actually banned contact practices from, uh, from the league. And so the only time that players are receiving, you know, head trauma or, or, or head impacts would be during gameplay. And, uh, you know, that was, that was done to, you know, keep the players safer and, and limit the amount of head impacts they're having. And, and then this year, you know, going ahead and, and doing this with head check, I think it just shows that they are being proactive about making rule changes, uh, investing in new technologies that can that make the game safer. And, and those things aren't happening down south. I mean, the, you know, the, I think, uh, you know, the, the Americans are a little bit slower to adopt this kind of stuff. And I think it reflects the CFL's brand is that it is an innovative league. And, and they understand that, you know, from uh, player safety to, you know, fan experience to social media, everything, they're, they're really trying to be innovative. And, and I think that people maybe don't uh, see that you know, directly, and, and, and they really should. Do you think we kind of benefit from being more of a, a nimble, smaller league in that it's easier to turn the speedboat around than the, say, cruise ship that could be the NFL? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that, 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 that might have something to do with it. I mean, another thing to, to think about is obviously the, uh, you know, the NFL being a multi-billion dollar organization is, is, is probably something that has to do as well. And you don't want to rock the boat too much. Uh, because you've got a good thing going, and, and here in Canada, we're we're all very proud of the CFL, and it's a fantastic league. And uh, you know, being you know a smaller league than the NFL, you know, there's there's little things that we can do quicker, and, and almost like a you know a small company is that we're we're definitely more agile up here in, in the way that we play football. And uh, you know, I think this is just one example of that. Well, Harrison, I do appreciate you keeping up with those maritime references by mentioning Rock the Boats after I was talking about speedboats and uh, cruise ships there. But uh, <laughs> great conversation, fascinating stuff that you guys are up to right now. And I want to thank you for joining us on the program today. Yeah, thanks, Tyler. Anytime. That's Harrison Brown, CEO of Head Check Health. And that's it for the show today. We'll be back on Monday, actually. And you can find our archives on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Share with your friends. Help us reach more people. For now, I'm Tyler Orton. Thanks for listening.